This is Listen Here Now, Serious Library News Magazine, the podcast for the Pendleton Public Library. Please like and subscribe and tell your friends and family that they can find us wherever they find their podcasts. With us today is Colleen Sanders. Uh, She is going to talk to us a little bit about her life in gardening, and then we're going to talk about her job and some things. Hello! Hi! Hi! Hi. It's nice to be here. So, have you been on a podcast before? Never a podcast, no. This is very exciting for me, and I love podcasts, so you're kind of fulfilling a little dream for me. This is, uh, my boss told me that this is one of the projects that she is most excited about that we have started in the past year, that we have a podcast, and that you really can get it wherever there's podcasts. It's a real podcast. Yay! Yes, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, you can find it on Google just put in Listen Here Now, Serious Library News Magazine, and you will find it. You Please have... like and subscribe, Colin. <laughs> I will. You've made it to the big time. <laughs> All right. So you are a, a garden-type person. Yes. I think that's an accurate description. <laughs> I do describe myself as a gardener. Uh-huh. Um, this month in the library, March, we are talking about gardening because we haven't had a chance in more than a year to do gardening programs at the library. In fact, the last gardening program I did was um, in person. I had a huge turnout and we talked about all the different gardening that you can do uh, even if you don't have a vegetable garden place yep. at your house, that if you only have a flower bed, if you only have a windowsill, ways that you can grow food for yourself. Absolutely. So that was the last program we did, which was great. I'm going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow. We're doing this will be way after um, the program I'm about to mention that this goes up. Okay. But tomorrow I'm doing a Facebook Live about garden Q&A for people to call and ask me about their various gardening questions. Because my other job is that my mom has a plant nursery and I am her uh, grunt. That's really exciting. Technician, I believe, is the final word. I am a technician. (laughs) I have done uh, plant nursery technician work since I was three years old. Wow, an expert. I'm an expert. I have transplanted tomatoes... More tomatoes than many people have eaten hot dinners. Oh, wow. I have transplanted many, many tomatoes. <laughs> Nothing stinks like tiny little baby tomatoes. They have that, like, black... Uh, when you, I, I've done a lot of pruning of tomatoes. So I've done farm work in the past. And um, with farm work, you prune the tomatoes so that they generate their energy to fruit rather than green production. Uh, and they have, like, this black chemical that is in the skin of the plant so that when you're like working with them it comes off on your hands and so I imagine you had uh not in a bad way quite a black thumb actually I had a black thumb (laughs) black fingers of all kinds in fact I couldn't eat tomatoes okay like it was later I had done it for many years I was probably oversaturated and I just I couldn't bear the smell of a a real ripe good tomato just for a while but 
it was it was definite. <laughs> there are people that actually have Solanaceae allergies too. There are people that like can't eat eggplants and tomatoes, and I don't know if that extends to potatoes too. But like the whole Solanaceae family, people struggle with because they have um, something about the compounds they produce. So um, and you can build up to it. Like you can be fine for a long time, and then one day you have eaten your last tomato. Yep, and that is. <laughs> You're like, I'm as done. far as I know, I've had a lifetime's worth. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> you may as well just die now. You're not ever gonna have another. There are so many tasty vegetables in the world that, like, it's okay to take a break <laughs> from one of them for a while. <laughs> now, what are you? You, what do you do for gardening? Uh, what are you planning right now? What am I planting right now? Oh my gosh! What are you uh, planning I'm, for the year to come? I'm pretty behind. I haven't started any seeds yet, and so I, I need to jump on that because seed start in season is, you know, early February, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm a little behind on that. But I do have a couple things started that I'm really excited about. I took uh, cuttings from a grapevine this past winter that I was going to try and propagate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a gift from Richard Bertram, who is another avid gardener in the area. Uh, and he grows amazing plants, just beautiful, beautiful plants. Uh, and he has this really excellent hydroponic system that he uses. And so I was really excited to get one of his great plants. Uh, and so I have a couple of those uh, rootings, the cuttings started in my window and uh, they have like green leaves on them and they just, they're so happy and so beautiful and just so excited to be in the world. And so I see those every day in the morning and that really brings me a lot of like energy and excitement for the gardening season. Do you have a plot? that you can plant out in or are you are you windowsill garden? I'm very fortunate to have a yard and so I, I do recognize that that's not something that everybody is working with. Um, my, my window space is actually rather limited and so I am very fortunate that I have kind of that outdoor space um, and I to be honest, I'm much more successful with plants in the ground than in little pots. I'm somewhat of a neglectful gardener, unfortunately. Uh, and so the ones in the ground tend to go, do a little bit better than the ones in the pots that need a little bit more attention. And so, um, yes, I, I produce plants that are very resilient yeah, through exactly. my neglect. <laughs> That's what you want here because it's so hot and dry. You want them to have a deep, heavy exactly. root. And the right kinds of plants. So I was just talking to someone recently about uh, my mistakes that I learned my first year in the space that I'm in now. Um, I planted a blueberry plant in the sunniest part of my yard. And that poor thing, I tried so hard to keep it alive that first year. And it just, it was like all sun all day long. And it just did not, it did not make it. And so what variety was it? Uh, I don't, I don't remember. That's a really good question. Uh, it was one that we had gotten up at Wenzel's Nursery, and so um, they have really amazing plants. That's not a comment on the quality of their plants. No, no. Um, but yeah, I don't remember what kind of what variety of blueberry it was. Unfortunately, there are two that do really well here: um, Duke okay. and Chandler. Ooh. Those are two blueberries. In fact, okay. people might be interested in this. Yeah, I, I'm pretty interested in that. That's a great thing to know because blueberries, um, especially, you know, they do really, really well on the west side just because that is where they're from. Uh, and um, out here we have pretty different conditions, and so it can be a struggle sometimes to get them going. Especially, I don't know if people know that blueberries like acidic soil also, and so um, sometimes you have to modify your soil a little bit, like dump coffee grounds in maybe the year before, uh, and to just prep the soil and the atmosphere for the blueberries to thrive. And it is really, when you first hear about uh, 
testing your soil samples and finding out what kind of soil you have, that can sound very frightening yes. to people. That seems like way overwhelming. Too much for me. It's really not. It's not. They get, the kit that they give you at the um, at Mart mm-hmm. that tells you everything yeah. that you need to know. Yep. If you're really worried about it, the um, county extension office eager to tell you yes i have to plug the extension office because as a, a former employer of mine uh the oregon state extension service here in umatilla county is really excellent uh and they do really great services for the community like um they don't do soil testing themselves but they can um kind of guide you through that process um but one thing that i do that is super easy and i teach in the beginning gardening classes is you can test kind of the composition and texture of your soil yourself too and the, they sell kits at bymark to test the ph also um one thing that i like to do is if you have just like a job are, uh, scoop you know a handful of soil into it and put a bunch of water in and shake it up really really good uh, and then just let it settle out for about a day and then um, what you can do you can see the striations of the different particle sizes in the soil so uh, the sand will fall out first because it's the heaviest and so that bottom layer uh, will be the sand and then you see these really distinct lines in the different kinds of soil so you have the sand the silt the clay and then the organic matter will like float around on the top so you can actually get a really good sense of what your soil is made of by just this home little test that you can like look at yourself it's a really great activity for kids too it is and if you see that you only have like two layers (laughs) that tells you some amendment might be necessary what you should be doing. Yeah, and it depends on what you're trying to plant too. So like vegetables do really well in like a sandy loam soil. So it's like half sand, half silt um, with a little bit of clay, Uh, but um, like fruit trees and um, perennial shrubs and things, they actually do better in a more clay soils because it has better water holding capacity and um, can anchor the roots down a lot better. And so what you're trying to do with your garden will inform how you need to amend your soil too. The uh, trouble with the blueberries being in the full sun, uh, you might explain a little bit about uh, the sun here <laughs> in Umatilla County, over here in the east side. Oh, bless the west side. They, um, you know, so much of the good gardening advice materials are developed in the Willamette Corridor. And their conditions are very different than ours. And, uh, you know, they, they say that they understand that. But then they come here and they're like, there's a lot of sun here. So uh, when they say things like um, plant this plant in full sun and you're seeing that this person is writing from maybe a, a Western Oregon perspective, I would caution that here full sun means something very different. Full sun means that it better be a desert plant or nothing <laughs> uh, because, or you better like water it constantly basically. And so uh, yes, we have very different sun here it's just very it's much more intense and so um plants that can have like a plant in full sun labeled to them on the west side uh, i plant a little bit more in the shade like i try to get the morning sun more than anything morning sun is the best kind of sun um and so i will try and stagger my plants to to be a little bit more resistant based on how the sun is um, traveling around my space because I have one spot where I planted that blueberry. It's just like all intense sun all day long. Now, if it had gotten just like even light shade, Mm -hmm. like sun-dappled shade at some point in the day, everything would have been fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) just a little bit of a break. You know, it's like you trying to sit in the sun. You're like, I I like sitting in the sun, but I'm not going to do it all day long. Right. Yeah. Um, So... 
there are things that grow here. Um, when we say desert plant, uh, it's not just sagebrush. Right. Something that does great here that I actually can't ever get enough of because of several, several reasons. Um, sunflowers. Yes. One reason I love them so much, and I don't insist that everything that you plant feed you. I, I love flowers. <laughs> flowers feed other beings that are important for the food that we eat. Absolutely correct. Uh, but sunflowers are especially charming to me because along about August, everything has stopped. Yeah. Uh, you might be able to keep your lawn green, but I don't really recommend that. I don't try, yeah. <laughs> you can keep your garden alive. Mm-hmm. You can, That's when you do the real big harvesting anyway. So Yeah, uh, by that time you're like, I would like things to die now. Right. That's always what I feel like when I reach August. I'm like, I'm done with this. Right. I'm tired of your face. Yes. But sunflowers begin. Yes. And they go on clear up to Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. The, this one thing about living here is that uh, the frost can start in October, but with laying out blankets and towels and stuff, you can keep even tomatoes clear up till Thanksgiving. Exactly. It's uh, there are challenges like water, and some years uh, like the smoke mm-hmm. really makes it throws a wrench in what you can do. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you can keep things up till, and they're really happy. The sunflowers—they, um, you know—you can't not be cheered up with a just bright, beautiful sunflower. And they do a great job of supporting all the kinds of bees. We have a lot of um, honeybee producers here in the area, but then we also have really wonderful native bees that are uh, solitary and don't form that, um, you know, hive structure that honeybees do. And sunflowers will feed all of them. Like it's a, it's a universal food plant for the pollinators. And you yourself don't have to eat those seeds. I dislike sunflower seeds intensely, but all of the little fall and winter birds, they love them. And you can just pop the heads off of them and lay them out, and the birds will come and And eat them up. I've heard that the squirrels are also patroning those plants, too, so you're you're keeping the wildlife alive. No, that's true. I am not a fan of the squirrels, because all the squirrels that we have here are non-native squirrels. I mean, we have our native squirrels, but they're mountain birds. They're probably not hanging around the city of Pendleton. They're not hanging around the city of Pendleton, and the ones that are eat the songbird babies. Oh, no. Yeah. They eat the eggs, they eat the babies, they destroy the nests, so... So you're not trying to support the squirrel population, but you're excited about them. them. They are... They are a rodent I don't care for. But the gray ones that are over on the west, those are delightful. <laughs> See, those are the ones that I have a problem with. Those are the ones that I grew up around. They would come, like, shooting out of trash cans at you. It was really <laughs> terrifying. My aunt had a brand new um, box of pansies all planted up. And uh, they were, she and her sisters were having coffee, and one of the gray squirrels came out and buried some kind of nut or something <laughs> in the pansies. Oh my and they were just getting ready to be mad about it. He put the pansies back and he fluffed them off. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. They, they, have some, they have some good behaviors to them. <laughs> <laughs> but these little red ones here in town, are, they're bad news. And they can be very funny. And they can do really cute things. I love when they tease a dog. I like to watch them chase each other around. That I is pretty adorable. Too. 
Uh, although I did live in a house one time that had a nest nearby, and they were foul. Oh yeah, a lot I believe of peeing, it. A lot of ripping each other's. Well, they're a rodent, like any, yeah. So, uh, at a distance, at somebody else's house, love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where I went to school in my undergrad, uh, there was uh, quite a bit of squirrels up there. It was um, Vancouver, BC, and they used to crawl up the sides of the dorm buildings into open windows and then like run around and crap in the dorm rooms if they got scared, So, which is pretty often. Oh my lord. That's it's a health not, issue. <laughs> that's not the way to live, squirrels. No. <laughs> so anyway, back to <laughs> the thing about sunflowers. I, they are not just yellow. They come in a nice cream. They oh, yeah. aren't just one row. They have a palette, petals. a gorgeous palette. They have like a fluffy mum mm-hmm. type. I like the ones that have the scarlet centers. They have Me the too. like orange outside and the scarlet centers. They're gorgeous. I, my aunt signed us up for a, um, a like a subscription kit of seeds and that you were getting unusual and heritage varieties. That's awesome. And we got sunflowers in one of them. It was a brown one. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I thought, oh, brown, come on. Blah. No. They are so, it's like a sepia print. Okay. But they're a rich, oh, reddish brown. I'm imagining like those really dark dahlias, like the really, really dark colors. Okay. That's a beautiful color. It's, wow. it's fantastic. I would have those again. That was the last color that we had. And then last year, everything blew up. We really didn't do much. I didn't. Yeah, I'm, I was derelict in my gardening duties, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't quite sure if you were allowed to go outside and stay outside. Yeah, and... there were some question marks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I don't go outside a lot in the summer. Hmm. Uh, I spend a lot of time out there in November, December. I'm outside like 12 hours a day. Nice. Because we do Christmas wreaths, mm-hmm. and then I'm just out in the wreath shed, just... Oh, the smell of pine must be amazing. It is. It's very nice. But I'm allergic to a lot of road dust, and oh. so they get road dust on That's less pleasant. That's less pleasant. Okay. But still, it smells delicious. <laughs> so this year, what are you going to... I know you have started great, (laughs) but are you going to go in for a experimental garden or are you going to go back to old favorites? Oh, I always like to experiment. Oh yeah, I never, I try to never do the same thing twice, um, mostly just because I am a little bit ADD and I like to change it up a little bit. Um, I am excited because I have uh, a lot of lawn and if you've ever talked with me, lawn is not my favorite thing. Uh, and so I am excited. I've got a bunch of native plants from the tribal native plant nursery that I'm going to try and plant a front row in my front yard. Cause right now it's very exposed and, um, it's hard to want to like be out in the front yard because it's just like all of your neighbors can see you and it's just, it's not private, you know? Uh, and so I'm really excited. I have these elderberries that I got, um, and some mock oranges, which are uh, two of my favorite of the our native plants. And so I've got, I, I have a plan to do like a row of one and then the other across the front of my yard. And so we'll see if that happens. It's a pretty ambitious goal because it requires digging up the, the lawn. Um, but I would love to see something different in that space and just, 
to support something that supports the biodiversity. Because right now, all I have is a lawn that has a lot of clover in it and a lot of dandelions in it. And I'm, I love clover and dandelions, and so I'm really not motivated to try and address them. But uh, I know that that's kind of, uh, I think my neighbors probably would appreciate <laughs> there being something else in that space. One thing that happened last year that was just crazy was I found a four-leaf clover, at least one, every day. What? And sometimes two to four. Oh my gosh. <laughs> every day. That's amazing. For like a month and a half. I feel like I just and want I, to follow you around now. I'm, I, I'm very lucky. <laughs> you must be. That's amazing. It's, it was just in one little patch, so... And it was a patch that was growing on what used to be part of the driveway, so I'm thinking that probably it's some kind of mutation. Some genetic with, drift there, yeah. Yeah. Like, is it getting into old spilled oil-type things? Is no, I mean, plants, plants can it... mutate pretty naturally on their own. Um, so, I, I mean, the floor-leaf clover idea came from somewhere, and so this isn't like a plant <laughs> that doesn't exist in the world. So I would say that that's probably just a very unique plant that you have there. And they were huge. Really? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. And then a couple of times I found five. Did you, pre you should press those. <laughs> I have a cookbook that is absolutely full of Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. That is something that I really like to do. I've gotten into um, doing collaging over the course of the pandemic and so I really like uh, I've dried like leaves and things that I press and um, you like press it into um, a layer of uh, not turpentine, but like acrylic, like a like acrylic base, um, and then it you know put it on a card, and it's really lovely, and it's uh, I've really enjoyed that. So I don't know, I would I would maybe pick well, up some of your <laughs> four leaf clovers. My mom loves to make uh, pressed flower pictures in like old frames that she gets secondhand stores. Yeah, they're just so cute. That's amazing. Uh, we got a mixed media art book that we're going to have out when we open. We're opening the 15th. Uh, so some good ideas there for pressed flower art. Absolutely. <laughs> mixed media. Oh, I love mixed media. I mean, again, I, you know, collaboration is the, the best thing. And so you get to collaborate with your different art mediums. And found objects. Yes. Oh, that's Ooh, awesome. Me too. When I was in college, it was in Walla Walla. And um, the kids at that college didn't know it was Whitman. They mm. don't know the value of a dollar. So <laughs> just always losing and dropping it. stuff and not going back and finding it. So. Oh, yeah. That Goodwill is my favorite Goodwill. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> but if you ever are around at a time when they are wrapping up for the semester... Uh, those rich kids just leave their crap for anybody to have. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I know what I'm doing come <laughs> come summer. <laughs> those giant Peruvian sweaters that are hand mitts that are real thick. Uh, just, ah, uh, I'm going back to California. Uh, it's hot. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Rich people. Oh, rich people. <laughs> oh, I love you for your wastefulness <laughs> that I can get the better of. There you go. I like you for what you leave behind. Right, right. And, and really, a bunch of really generous people. The main thing that they do is community service yeah. at that college. They really are dedicated to it, and they're sincere yeah. about it. Those people go home and start really helpful foundations and really devote themselves to 
where they live and the people that are around them. Absolutely. They really are generous and kind-hearted people. They just don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I yeah. If you have a lot, then, you know, one thing does not make much of an impact. And that's what you want. When people have a lot, you want them to generously share. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're doing. Exactly. All right. So, um, one thing that we do out at the plant nursery is uh, the sign that has the business name on it has like a 9 by 8 patch of ground under it and we do an experiment garden. Oh, very nice. Uh, Sometimes it's flowers and we're just seeing what can happen there because it's extremely rocky. Mm -hmm. There's an ant nest in it. (laughs) It's very dry. Uh, And the chickens can get up there. So, uh, we do what flowers can live here that do well. Uh, thought nasturtiums were going to be a home run. Nasturtiums were only okay. Okay. They didn't really bloom very much. Plants were good. Didn't bloom very much. Um, we did corn. Not great. Not corn great. needs a lot of water. Corn needs a lot of water and also not to be scratched up and examined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't tend to like that very much. <laughs> But what did wonderfully there was uh, we did an arranged garden that had uh, yellow pear tomatoes on one side, uh, interspersed with kind of weird patty pan squash. I can't eat them, so I don't like them. Okay. But it produced like a bear. Yeah, the squash <laughs> will do that. Yeah, they love the sun. Uh, and on the other side a variety of peppers. Okay. Just like, I think there were poblanos and then maybe some jalapenos. Very tasty. Always do great. Yes. Sun lovers. Blue morning glories. Okay. And those did great. So the food that we got off, I forget how much it was. In the end, it was like 300 pounds of vegetables that we got. That's amazing. And that was planting late, not really, you know, once it started to wind down, not doing the things that made it. Not cute. Yeah. Not as diligent. Right. Yeah. But, uh, squashes that were there, we had a couple of, um, they weren't volunteer, but I don't know what variety they were. Some kind of zucchini that somebody gave us. Okay. They produced clear up to, like, past the first frost by a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we usually use, lose zucchinis no matter what. They they give up right away. Yeah. Uh, but the late season ones were too sweet. Interesting. Could not eat them. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, usually, whatever it is, if you cook it with garlic, it's going to be right. great. Lousy. Mm. Just lousy. They tasted... Mm. They were so sugary that they tasted like some kind of uh, not very good fruit like you know like they were halfway in between a fruit and a vegetable in a really unpleasant way but they had been normal zucchinis up till then okay Uh, so I'm thinking this must happen a lot (laughs) and this is why we have zucchini bread if we were a zucchini bread family I bet it was awesome that's what I was just thinking I was like that sounds like that would actually be pretty perfect for zucchini bread it could have been I'll never know. I'll never let a zucchini go that far again. (laughs) Well, and I wonder if there is some cross-pollination issues there, too. Squash are really good at cross-pollinating each other, and so the two planted really close to each other makes me wonder. Sure. 
it wouldn't have been the plant this year. Okay. It oh, would that's have been true. the seeds of that plant next year would have been some kind of crazy. That's, um, you know, my farmer experiences uh, told me a little bit differently. We had um, a species of squash when I was living up in the Pullman area. There was a farm up there that was an experimental farm, and they grew heirloom seeds of the area. There was a squash variety, a Leta squash, that was um, very um, honored, very like coveted in the area. And so they would grow those really far away from all of the other squash. They had a big pumpkin patch that they would do because the pollination of that would affect the squash that year that they would come like, you know, we also grew Hubbard squash. And so some of them did have like a blue on the top of this very orange squash. And so I'm wondering, um, I agree that the seeds are definitely impacted by that, but I, I wonder too if the the actual flesh of the that F one generation is also impacted. Not a geneticist. <laughs> I don't think it would be because it couldn't. It wouldn't affect the fruit that was formed because the fruit isn't the thing. Mm. The seeds are the thing. The seeds are the thing that have the DNA. In them. That's true. Anyway. <laughs> Either way, there was some kind of cross-pollination at some point, I'm suspecting the year before. But Could have been, yeah, absolutely. I'm <laughs> pondering genetics. <laughs> I know, no, I know, I'm absolutely by no means a geneticist, so I, I, you, you're probably 100% correct. <laughs> uh, the most fun you can have, uh, if you want to garden a big area and you don't really want to put a lot of work into it is a pumpkin patch. Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you can just let it go and take care of itself because like Connecticut field pumpkin will reseed oh, yeah. and so. come up next year and be exactly the same. It's very aggressive. <laughs> very aggressive. If you also do some kind of little gourds like warty gourds, mm -hmm. and they cross-pollinate, you will get crazy-ass pumpkins. Really? You will. Mm. <laughs> and weird gourds. Okay. So, I like weird gourds and crazy pumpkins. I do, too. So, uh, if you're ever, you know, that would be something give, to give try. a horse pasture is ideal. And you need it to cover it. <laughs> you want to cover it, do a pumpkin patch, and have the people come and pick them, because... Yeah. That's a wonderful idea. Horse crap is great for pumpkins. Yes, it is. Yeah, especially since it's been in that soil all that time. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's and a great idea. Just let it go for like a couple of years, two or three years. And then it sort of starts to wind down because of... You know, this is an essence to it. Yeah. yeah. This is a natural kind of decline of things. Right. <laughs> we all then they start getting diseased and that's not... Well, I mean, it's a monoculture, right? Like, anytime you're not having genetic diversity or um, changing things up a little bit, you, you get some pest pressure. You get things that are not very much fun for anyone yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Much as animal populations. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Coming back to that, squirrels. <laughs> yeah, those guys. <laughs> well, this has carried us to our 30-minute mark. And I think that we can end here. Is there anything that you would like the people to know? Um, <laughs> Just to put you on the spot. To know. Uh, oh, um, dandelions. Please don't spray your dandelions. Um, I know that they seem to have gotten kind of a bad rap as being, you know, a... Uh, um, 
a weed flower, but they're actually really, really great. They're really great for the pollinators. They're like one of the first foods that's available for the early hatching bees that we have, um, and they will, you know, pop up throughout the winter. And so they're they're a really wonderful source of food for a lot of beings. So even if you're trying to get rid of your dandelions, don't spray them with chemicals. Maybe manually remove them because the bees can get really, really sick by landing on one of those with um, spray on it. So, uh, and personally, I find spray to be a not very good way to get rid of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Thistles, I'm okay spraying. Some of them are necessary. Of them yeah, because of the way they come back. Yeah, but yeah, digging out a dandelion is a lot more permanent. Yeah, and there's all kinds of things you can do with them if you're into trying to make good with the things that you're removing from your garden. Like, I try to use the things that I'm removing. Um, dandelion root, if you dry it, it can be like a nice little tea if you boil it up. If you're into such a thing, it can interact with medicine. So, of course, check with physicians and everything. Um, but This is a very good point. Um, I think that herb gardening and herbalism, I think that's great. But you really are ingesting a medicine. Mm -hmm. Yep, <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, There's dosage considerations. Probably fine, but you yourself do not, you're not an expert. I mean, you're yeah. the general public. I'm <laughs> not an expert uh, necessarily about how strong that is mm -hmm. that you're using it. Sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's weaker. Oh yeah, herbalism is a, is an art or a science, depending on how you want to look at it. Like you said, the dosage is really important. Um, different parts of plants are prepared differently and you know can remove toxicity or heighten toxicity, depending on how they're being processed. And then always the consideration of the soil that it's being grown in, if you're having a soil. I, I used to live in Butte, Montana, and uh, you couldn't eat anything grown in the soil in Butte, Montana, because it was so... Uh, contaminated with heavy metals from the mining in the area and so um, you, it was really hard to garden in that area and so always being uh, aware of the soil that your plants are growing in so it was really important. And be aware of the industries that are taking advantage of your area. Exactly. Maybe they don't need to have. <laughs> yes, that's a much larger conversation that I would love to get into, but it might be outside the purview of this podcast. Probably. We'll have you back on sometime when we're having our rip snorters. I would like that. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm happy to dig into the fray. I, that, maybe that would be something fun for winter podcast is to have just a month of podcasts where somebody comes on and gets really mad, <laughs> furious about something, and just inarticulately roars. Hey, the it. Rants and Raves page always does really great on like Facebook, so that would just be like a more interactive version of that. Oh, you know what I should probably do is uh, mediate a, a discussion <laughs> uh, that is meant to have people just scream and shout and holler at each other. There you go. Oh, that is, that's... <laughs> That'd be good. I hope we're all vaccinated by then, because I'd really like to get some fisticuffs going in that. That you know, would we be. We have this boxing school next door. Yes, that would be a fun event. There okay, you these go. two people—they're on opposite sides of this argument. Okay. That—that <laughs> <laughs> that is an event I would go to for sure. <laughs> that sounds like a good money maker. To me. Yes. You punch each other out and you holler, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, I, I spent a large portion of my, of my youth doing martial arts. And so all of my best friends when I was a kid, uh, we used to get together and beat each other up. And then like 
be just fine afterwards. So I think there's some real catharsis in it. Sure, but you weren't also undermining their, their big paychecks and but, their kickbacks. You know, it's lesson building. You're learning. You know, your opponent is teaching you your weaknesses. That's how you have to look at it. Good point. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. It was fun to have you on board. Thank you for doing this, too. This is a really great service. I think that the people are enjoying it. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you soon.